it's not like we're teetering on this working or not. It works. And it's just a matter of making sure I don't make any absolutely idiotic decisions at this point. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Josh Pickford from Bear Metrics, which is a, we'll just call it a a valuable metrics dashboard that allows you to track things such as monthly recurring revenue, lifetime value, churn, net revenue, average revenue per users, things like that. And it pulls directly from your Stripe account. Josh, how are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on the show. So I guess, why don't we start off with your background first? Sure. So um, I've, I've been doing stuff on the web for a long time, probably, I don't know, a decade or so. Um, I started building stuff for myself, like, as a kid in high school. And, you know, like, this was back in, like, GeoCities days and stuff. And um, that kind of moved into building stuff for other people. So initially, that started off, like, doing a bunch of design work for bands and things like that. And then that started leading into like me just wanting to build stuff again for myself, but figure out how, to, how can I make money? So I've always had sort of an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. And, uh, and that's just over the past 10 years has been what I've focused on. So for a long time, I split my time between building products for myself uh, and then for clients. And then uh, Bear Metrics uh, kind of took off and I've, I've been able to focus 100% on it for the past uh, almost a year now. Great. Let, let's talk about bare metrics. I mean, you know, first of all, how did you come up with the idea? And you know, let's talk about the you know the journey. Sure. So um, back in this was, I guess, October of last year, so 2013. Um, I, I had two other SaaS products, both kind of survey online survey kind of. They were in that sort of industry, and uh, and they both used Stripe. Um, I was I was trying to get those sort of. They had been around for a while, and I needed to kind of give them a kick in the pants and see if I could make them, you know, make more money. So um, I had been looking at how to get all these metrics, and uh, there just wasn't an easy way. I mean, I could do the whole manual spreadsheet kind of thing, or try to hook them up into some other generic analytics tool, but that all required me to not screw up like the implementation of how I'm sending them data, and I wasn't ever comfortable with that, and so. Uh, I realized they both use Stripe, so let's see if Stripe's got the data. And they do, and I, I kind of built it for myself initially and then um, and then stuck it out there to see what would happen, and it, it struck a chord. 
Got it. And I, I noticed, I mean, you know, when Buffer put up their 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 bare metrics dashboard, you know, that's when people started or at least I got kind of awareness of bare metrics and I was like, I need to have this. So it was that kind of a was that a, kind of a big accelerator for you guys? How did that affect you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we had released our dashboard publicly in February. Um and that was sort of the impetus of the the buffer deal, like that little sort of business partnership. And um so like that obviously that they're a much larger company than Barometrics is and and have a, have a ton of people that follow them. And so when they did that, it was like like if if you go look at back at the chart, like you see a permanent change in the angle of of, of the revenue chart. Like it it changed the sort of trajectory of our growth. And uh yeah, that was only a positive deal. Got it. And what do revenues and users look like today? So we're um Hovering close to twenty seven thousand in monthly recurring revenue, which translates to like three hundred and twenty five thousand annual run rate. Uh, number of users, uh, kind of anywhere between two eighty and three hundred, just depends. Got it. Okay. And the, the company itself, right now, is it uh, how many people are are on the team? There's six of us full time. Wow. Okay. Great. So, you know, I, I mean, you, you know. I saw a few of your other, you know, your presentations and things like that. You know, you talked about having to, you like to build things, right? I mean, now you're starting to, you know, you're starting to build up more employees. I mean, you have six people, it's going to get bigger and bigger. So are you, um, do you find yourself still, you know, pretty close to the product or are you finding yourself, you know, doing other things? Um, I, it's, a, it's an interesting spot to be in for sure. I mean, there's, I'm having to look into, you know, I spend a lot of time now on, more sort of higher level company stuff like where do we have a company retreat next month so it's like i'm spending a ton of time planning that we you know i have to do i do one-on-ones with with all the people that work at bare metrics and so it's i spend a lot of time preparing and kind of looking over that stuff and there's just a lot of more administrative isn't the word but just kind of like making sure everybody else is equipped to do their job well and uh and then i kind of just keep the ship headed in the right direction. Um, I'm still really close to the product for sure, but I, I'm not like designing and developing like I was in the early days. Got it. Okay. Now walk us through the, I mean, the timeline. I mean, by month five, you know, you went from pretty much $0 to um, $5,000. Uh, you know, what did that, you know, tell us about that experience. Sure. So I, I mean, when I put bare metrics out there, I, I, I really had kind of intended it to be uh, just sort of like another sort of tool in the toolbox. I mean, I, I've always been like somebody who's juggling lots of different things at the same time. In hindsight, that was not a great idea, and I don't necessarily recommend that now. But uh, in the way that my brain was working at the time was okay. Like I've got a couple of products now that are making you know a few thousand bucks a month. Like if I let me build this thing and. Maybe it can also make a few thousand, and then that collectively will make a decent amount of money. And I, um, I so when I put it out there and it just it took off quickly, um, it, it I didn't really know what to think of it. I mean, it was sort of like, well, when's it going to stop growing? Because I had already not expected it to even get to that much. And uh, and so when it got to yeah, within five months of from the idea, so actually four months after launching, um, it was at five thousand a month, and it was. That would mean pretty good growth for like a one man show. Um, so I, I felt good about it, and then I've still just kind of been riding the roller coaster to see what happens. 
Got it. Okay. Now, how did you go about acquiring your first, let's just say your first 10 users? So that was all, um, surprisingly, uh, Twitter, basically. I mean, and I, well, I say that word of mouth and like the mode of that was Twitter, the way that people were sharing it. Um, it I had a bunch of other buddies and startups and that was sort of like maybe the first couple of customers or just people that I, I knew who had companies. Um, but after that, it was, you know, I would share something on Twitter about this thing for Stripe and anybody else that used Stripe, it kind of latched on for it, it struck a chord with them. And then like the people at Stripe start sharing it and it kind of grows from there. Okay. Now the, you know, you talked about the, you talked about having to juggle different projects and, you know, you've always kind of done that, um, you know, the, the product launch itself. I mean, you, you, you know, how did that look? I mean, you, you know, you, you presented it to people on Twitter. I mean, what else did you do that was kind of uh, special with your product launch? It's, it's so anticlimactic, man. Like I wish that there was like, I had been, I had done some like, here's, here's, you know, something, the step-by-step 10, 10 ways to launch a product. But in reality, I didn't do, I didn't do anything. Like I didn't collect email addresses. I I had not been blogging about this pre-launch to like drum up you know, hype or anything. It was very much, all right, I think I'll launch this today. Uh, and then I sent out a tweet and that was, that was my launch. And uh, within, you know, like a month, I think I, I'm doing like a couple thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue. I mean, just, it kind of took off. Got it. I think it's, I mean, this is something I've always wanted. I mean, a, a really cool dashboard that, you know, it, it's, it's something that every startup would want. Right. And it's super right. simple to understand. Um, so I, I think that's, that's probably a big part of it. It's like, this is like a duh product, right? It's like, um, so you don't always need to have a super cool, like, you know, product, you don't need to buy like a product launch formula or or something like that. You know, sometimes it just, uh, you can do the unsexy thing and then, uh, watch it grow. Well, I mean, in reality, I think that's the mistake that people, uh, get into get is, or do is that they get caught up in their own hype. So, the, you know they're they're working on some product. They've got it in like some private beta or pre-launch thing. They get it on product hunt and they collect all these email addresses and they and they look at that as like oh I've validated the idea. People want this because I've got a thousand email addresses, but they haven't charged anybody a dime and nobody's even actually seen the product. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, they may not even have a real functioning product yet. Uh, and so they get caught up in thinking that they're going to do well and then they release it and like it just flops and nobody understands why they spent so much time like feeling like they were headed on the right direction because they've collected a bunch of email addresses and turns out they just completely missed the point. So getting it out there, I I just wanted to get it out and and I had no idea how anybody would react to it. Uh, I had no idea if anybody would even pay for it. And so when people did start paying for it, I was able to get feedback from actual paying users and, and sort of make adjustments to the product from those people instead of just like these pie in the sky numbers on the email list. And how long did it take you to build the actual product? Mm. The first version was, um, I say, I mean, from, from man hours, it was like seven days, maybe. I mean, it was spread over 30 days, like a month. So I, I had the idea on October 14th and I launched it November 14th. And, but that was, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm running two other SaaS products and I've got clients and doing consulting work and junk. So, um, so the first version, yeah, was, was about seven or eight days of my time. And then I, I actually, uh, about two months in completely scrapped it 
and rebuilt it from scratch. After, again, based on like the the feedback from those paying customers, those first paying customers. So, okay, kind of, yeah. And, and th- so I'm assuming your full focus now is on bare metrics, right? There's no other like side projects and things like that. Nope. So the previous SaaS products that I had, uh, I don't have those anymore. Uh, I wrapped up. Uh, I had a couple of consulting clients that I wrapped up back in I think January or February. So, okay. Yep. Yeah, it's it's weird because I mean, when people are like when entrepreneurs are, that are, you know, they're just starting out, they want to make something work, they want to, you know, quote, unquote, make it, they're always trying all these different things. And, you know, the next shiny object, they're gonna, they're gonna try to latch onto it, and they end up taking on too many things. So, you know, walk us through kind of the, the, the difference in, you know, the, the mindset difference now that you're just focusing on one thing versus, you know, previously, you're just doing all these different things. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I because a lot of times, I looked at my juggling of things of different projects as almost like diversification of income or revenue. You know, I, I'm not solely tied to one thing. So if that thing hits the fan, I'm not just out of money basically. Um, but I, in hindsight, that was sort of, that was sort of cop out. So, um, but now that I can focus on bare metrics, hundred percent, it's the difference is that you're able to think more clearly about, a given problem because I think so much, so many decisions uh, for a product happen kind of subconsciously. I mean, even talking about in your sleep or, you know, you're like in the shower in the morning and like just something random pops in your head. Like it's, it's all about being able to sort of focus and not have a dozen things clouding. I, I say like taking up brain space. Um, and I think that's the problem with trying to do too many things at once is, You've got too many, you can't do that subconscious processing and coming up with like creative thinking about stuff basically. And, and so the, just the shift from juggling a handful of things to only one product is, I mean, it just changes the game. And I, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday who's, he's had a product and he's been juggling, I mean, like super successful uh, series of books and things like that that he's had. And then He's had the software product on the side that's been kind of like meh, but he's all of a sudden been focusing just on the software and not all the book sale stuff. And the software has taken off because he's been able to focus 100% on it. And he's not just stretching himself so thin and he can think clearly about how what problems need to be solved uh, on that, that, that product. Got it. It almost feels liberating in a way, right? Sure, I would agree. And it's also, I mean... It can also be a little scary if you go back to the my thought process before having or the motivation being this like revenue diversification kind of thing. I mean, all my eggs are in one basket here. So, you know, this hits the fan, then we got problems. But it's at the same time, you know, I'm not at a desperate point. It's not like we're teetering on this working or not. It works. And it's just a matter of making sure I don't make any absolutely idiotic decisions at this point. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you talked about Twitter helping you acquire your first 10 users. I mean, what's one unique thing you're doing today to acquire more customers? So we do a lot of uh, retargeting. Um, with, we use perfect audience. Um, so we can drive a decent amount of traffic to the site, uh, you know, either from search terms. I mean, lots of people searching from Stripe analytics. Um, and then also just regular content. So in uh, our content, like, the stuff that we're posting on the blog converts really well and drives a lot of traffic. But so it's like you've got this, the content marketing side, the blog, and that drives a lot of traffic, but then we can retarget them 
after the fact. So that, that also converts pretty well. Um, those are the main things for, for kind of getting new customers. Okay, perfect. So, you know, you, you do mention somewhere that, um, you know, you're against free trials and, you know, I mean, I want to preface this by saying that, and you've mentioned this as well. I mean, your product is obviously, you know, instantly understandable to the customers you want. Um, but what about more complex tools like, you know, CRMs? I mean, yep. other tools, should they have free trials? Uh, sure. I mean, like I, the, I'm not necessarily opposed to free trials. I'm opposed to free trials. Uh, well, okay. I'm, let me preface that again. Um, free trial may not be the right term. Free plans. Uh, I generally am opposed to. Um, and that's sort of the typical free plan. Like I, I think most companies that have a free plan give away way too much and they don't need the free plan, but they feel like they have to because that's just what you do. And uh, I think the problem, um, okay, so let's, there's a couple of different ways we can look at this. So the, the free trial thing, the no credit card trial, um, the, the, if you've got the CRM that takes a lot of work to get set up, then yeah, I'm cool with that uh, because it's a value thing. It's a, how long does it take to start getting value out of it? You should start paying when you start getting value. So uh, with a CRM or any other sort of complex tool, it might take weeks or months to start getting value out of it. And convincing people to pay for that before they are starting to get any value is a big ask. Um, bare metrics, it's connect your Stripe account and you get value done. Uh, so that's why we charge up front. Now, that's not to say we won't like A-B test a bunch of different stuff in the future, but uh, right now I'm super comfortable with the position we're taking on it. Yeah, I think that makes a, a, I think that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, you know, we can call it a free plan or freemium or whatever, and I'm generally against that too because it just makes everything harder in general. Yeah. And then once you kind of strip it away, it's a bad experience for all the people that were on that plan, yep. um, and they start to hate you. So um, totally agree with that. Now, you know, you you – you and Buffer, I mean, you know, bare metrics and Buffer, I mean, you you guys all kind of have this, uh, you know, thing about transparency. Um, your business revolves around transparency. And you mentioned that transparency does have its downsides. You know, can you talk about that? So the the there's a few different ways that transparency can manifest itself in negative ways. And I think the biggest thing for us has been, uh, I would, I guess, would call them Me Too businesses. So people who they can see all our metrics. I mean, it's clear how much money we're making, how, what our growth is like, what our churn is, all that kind of stuff. And uh, somebody who hasn't like, is, is this sort of infant entrepreneur who's never built anything before, never had any success with anything. It's easy for them to say, Ooh, I want to do that too. I can do that too. And it looks, look how profitable it is. If I make, if I only make a couple thousand from it, that's great, you know? And so there's just been this, I mean, I could, I could probably rattle off a dozen different businesses that have, or, or software product apps that have uh, cropped up in the past six months that are clear, like almost directly ripping us off. I mean, same design, layout, the whole thing. So that kind of stuff is, has been probably the, the biggest, it's an annoyance. And uh, that's sort of a downside to it. Um, but then also it sort of opens you up for scrutiny. So, uh, you know, potential customers might not, they might think, oh, that churn rate looks bad or, oh, that churn rate's going up. Then what's wrong? Why are people leaving? And then they just won't sign up. Um, but at the same time, the, the pros so far outweigh the cons. Um, 
So I'm still happy with it. Got it. Can you talk about some of those pros? So the pros are that, I mean, from a marketing perspective alone, you know, things like the buffer deal happening, which, I mean, dramatically changed our business. Um, that would not have happened had I not initially made our numbers public. Um, and uh, just the fact that like, our dashboard gets shared a ton, um, people are drawn to that. And that, again, that keeps driving new new customers to us. And that's just always been, it's sort of been this uh, thing that people are happy to, that love, they love to talk about it and kind of show it off and, and especially other startups. And that's my market, right, is startups and founders and they're obsessed with like kind of checking in on other people. So it works really well from that perspective. Okay. Now, oops, the, you, you talked a little bit about how to price your your SaaS product. I mean, how did you go about uh, you know setting up pricing for for bare metrics? So I knew from past experience that what I did not want was a bunch of people on a single digit, you know, five dollar a month plan or even a twelve dollar a month plan. I wanted uh, my average the, the average revenue per user on a monthly basis to be at least fifty bucks. So to make that happen, that meant uh, the the scale or I needed to sort of tip the scales towards more expensive plans. So our cheapest plan is twenty nine bucks, but then it goes up to seventy nine, uh, then one forty nine, two forty nine, and there's a bunch of enterprise level stuff. And so um, that was the that was sort of the motivating factor for how I priced was knowing that I wanted to be at least fifty dollars a month or more per customer because it kind of self segments you towards uh, businesses that are legit um, as opposed to businesses that don't have any money but can still tend to be really demanding. So I kind of filter that out automatically by having more expensive plans. Um, so that was sort of how I came up with those. I mean, as far as the exact numbers, uh, I kind of just pulled them out of thin air. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, this, those can always be adjusted down the line. Yeah, you, you just grandfather people in, right? Yep. Cool. Now, you also talked about... You know, how people will know or how people can know when their business is dying. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? So I think, and this is, I mean, absolutely from personal experience here, the, in my own sort of, I think most people are not honest enough with themselves about when their business just, it's just not a great idea. Um, and it all comes down to, well, what are you trying to get out of the business? Right. I mean, maybe 500 bucks a month from that product is fine for you. That's, that's all you ever wanted it to be. But if you're trying to grow uh, something that you could live off of um, just on a, on a base level, um, I think there are just there are some things that you have to pay attention to, to be honest, like if you'll ever get to that point or if it's worth the effort to get to that point. Um, things like uh, if your user churn is over 25%, um, that's, so that's monthly, uh, that means in four months, all of your users will have churned uh, unless you're replacing them at a faster rate. And, uh, you know, you think like, oh my gosh, 25% churn is huge, especially when bigger businesses should have sub 1% churn. But uh, a surprising number of businesses do have that high of a churn and they don't really think anything about it. And in reality, if people are churning at that higher rate, you're not, you're not correctly solving a problem for them or you might not be solving a problem for them at all. And so you should probably rethink things. Um, Things like, uh, you know, you're a couple of years in 
on working on the product and you've only, you're only making a couple thousand dollars a month, again, that sort of points to you not solving a big enough pain uh, or you might not be charging enough. Um, so, uh, but at the end of the day, it's sort of being honest, like it's not supposed to be that hard. Yes, it's slow, but it shouldn't be that difficult uh, if you're really solving a, like a real tangible problem. Got it. Now, how many, you know, based on your experience, I mean, how many years does it really, how many years should someone like go at it before giving up? And, you know, obviously there's so many different variables here, but just at a very high level. Um, I mean, I think you would know really within, I, I knew within 30 days that I had hit on something with bare metrics. Um, but I also think it's kind of hard to know it until you see it. I would, I would say I did not know it with the previous products I built. Like I just kind of assumed, oh, it's just slow going, cool. And didn't think anything else of it. But I mean, if you're again, like, you know, say a year in and you're just, you're just feel like you're having to fight for every single customer, uh, you, you probably need to go back to the drawing board. It's kind of what I, in my head, that's how I look at it. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Now, with bare metrics, I mean, given it's only been a little over a year, I mean, you know, what's what's one big struggle you faced so far while growing the business? I think early on, the biggest was uh, sort of infrastructure um, scaling stuff. I mean, I've I, I can kind of hold my own for basic development stuff, and that's what I had done for a while. And then I had never dealt with anything that was sort of having to process so much data. Um, that I just didn't know how to scale that. I mean, from a pure knowledge, dealing with servers and all that stuff, uh, I had a lot of trouble. So that was for, for probably six to eight weeks there. This is uh, maybe, I think maybe March, April, May, somewhere around there um, of this past year. It was, I just, every, I was staying up late every night trying, just trying to put out fires. It was, I wasn't building anything new. It was just, oh my gosh, how do I keep the, train from falling off the tracks. Um, and at that point I brought on the first full-time, uh, employee who's still with us. I mean, he's uh, a backend engineer. And so he, he saved my tail, uh, in a big way. Got it. Okay. Now what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25 year old self? 25 year old self. Okay. Um, I think I was talking to my wife the other day about this, about how in hindsight, there's not a lot I would change, but I mean, I, I was always kind of looked at myself, uh, as sort of a lone ranger, um, and kind of, I mean, you know, in a like egotistical way, like was proud of the fact that I could do a lot myself. I mean, on a consulting basis, people would hire me because I could do it all. I mean, I would handle the design, the front end, the back end, the whole deal, like build them a, a full product from beginning to end. And I was proud of that. But in hindsight, now that I've built a team uh, around the product, um, I, I, that's just so much nicer. I wish I had tried to build up a team around things a lot earlier on. Not necessarily talking have co-founders kind of thing, but um, just work a lot harder to, to get more people in on the project instead of me trying to do it all by myself. Okay. Now, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Mmm, productivity hack. Let me think here. Um, uh, try not to multitask. I think, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of that still, but I, whenever I'm trying to juggle too many things, I'm, I invariably just drop them all and don't do a, a great job at all with any of them. 
Perfect. And I think that's that's something all entrepreneurs are, are guilty of because I, I oh, think sure. there's a ADD syndrome with yeah. everyone. <laughs> okay. Now, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? So the, the, the book that I recommend to anybody, uh, especially when they're like early on building stuff, is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, it's, it, was, it was massive for me to get over the – a lot of people kind of – you end up making up excuses for why you're not able to pull off things or – you kind of procrastinate things that are really, really difficult when those, the fact that those are difficult are the, the like main sign that you should be doing them. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a quick, I read it on a plane, like in a couple of hours. So it's a good read. Nice. Yeah. I, I've heard good things about it. And I think it's all on my, my Amazon wish list. So I think you might, might press me to actually buy it right. You after should. This. It's great. Uh, okay, great. So the war of art. Um, perfect. Now what's the best way for, for people to find you online? Um, Twitter's great. Um, at Spigford, um, or email Josh at bearmetrics.io. Okay, perfect. So everyone, this is Josh Pigford from Bearmetrics. And if you're using Stripe, you you ought to make sure that uh, you better make sure you're you're, you're checking the Bearmetrics out because it's 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 necessary for every startup. Um, thanks so much, Josh. Thanks for having me on, Eric. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire, or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.